We would like to acknowledge the Ghana people and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge their spiritual connection to the land on which this podcast is recorded. As part of the oldest living culture in the world, we draw inspiration from their deep knowledge of traditional foods, medicine and remedies. From the Central Adelaide Local Health Network, this is Research Pulse, where we discuss the latest world-class health research from Carlin and how it's contributing to world-class care. Today, we're focusing on how bile acids are much more than intestinal detergents, which break down dietary fats for digestion. Hello, I'm Drew Radford, and our guest today is Professor Christopher Rayner, a consultant gastroenterologist at the Royal Adelaide Hospital and professor in the Adelaide Medical School, University of Adelaide. Chris, thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Drew. Chris, what led you down the path of gastroenterology? Well, Drew, I think when I was a trainee physician and looked at the different specialties available, it was one with enormous variety. The gastrointestinal tract goes from the mouth to the anus and there's a lot of bits in between. And it's something I think that's got something for everyone. A lot of people screw up their nose and say, you know, what do you want to be a vomit and poo doctor for? I'm not put off by those aspects. I think it's a system that's got infinite variety. And what we're going to talk about today will show also that it's a body system that's central to our overall well-being. Well, it is indeed, and I do actually wonder whether that makes you cautious about what you put in your mouth. Well, I think all things in moderation from my own point of view, but uh, you're right. I mean, I think uh, the common diseases that afflict society now are viewed as lifestyle diseases, and uh, watching what we eat is a critical part of getting that right. Chris, we're going to focus on the work you've been doing concerning the connection between bile acids and type 2 diabetes. Firstly, though, bile acids, has the traditional view of them been that they've got a pretty simple job? Yes, that's right. Bile is made in the liver from cholesterol. It's secreted and stored in the gallbladder. After a meal, particularly a fatty meal, it's ejected from the gallbladder and its function is as a detergent to help break down and digest fats. And that was pretty much thought to be the long and short of it. What we're now understanding in the last decade or so is that it's got much more complex and critical functions in metabolism of food after meals and it's probably got a major role in blood glucose control so it definitely is relevant to diabetes. Chris you're specifically focusing on type 2 diabetes and before we dive into it can you Give a quick summary of type 1 versus type 2 diabetes. Yes, so type 2 diabetes is by far the more common of the two types, type 1 and type 2, probably about 90% of diabetes. We sometimes call it maturity onset because it tends to be middle age and onwards. Although in modern society where there's a lot of overweight, we're now seeing teenagers come in with type 2 diabetes. Unlike type 1, where from the outset there's a deficiency of insulin secretion by the pancreas, type 2 diabetes has got the problem of the cells of the body being resistant to the actions of insulin, so they don't take up glucose as well from the bloodstream. 
Then later as the disease goes on, the pancreas gets burnt out, if you like, and there can be a later insulin deficiency after a few years of disease. The research that you've been doing, you're bringing these two things together, bile acids and type 2 diabetes. Why are you interested in this interaction? Well, what we find is that bile seems to be having an important signalling role in the gut over and above its ability to digest fats. So one of the observations we made in our lab a few years ago was that if we put a tube through the nose into the small intestine of healthy volunteers and people with type 2 diabetes, and we infused some bile acids into the small intestine, followed by a load of glucose to simulate a meal, what we found is that the blood glucose response was much lower when we gave the bile acids as opposed to the control day. And that was accompanied by stimulation of an important gut hormone called GLP-1. And the GLP-1 seems to be the thing that's driving that lowering of blood glucose that's uh, initiated by the bile acids. I understand part of your work is looking at directing bile to different parts of the gut. Yeah, so this is very interesting. The reason why I'm interested in diseases like diabetes is because they really are controlled by the gut because the gut controls how nutrients are processed after meals. So the rate at which they empty from the stomach how quickly carbohydrates are absorbed from the intestine, but also when nutrients interact with the intestine, they cause hormone release. And there's quite a number of these hormones that do things like make you feel full, stimulate insulin secretion, and slow down the transit of contents from the stomach and through the intestines. And the interesting thing is that the balance of those hormones that get secreted changes quite a bit between the upper gut and the lower gut. And the hormones that have the greatest influence in controlling diabetes come from the lower gut. So if we can direct stimuli more lower down in the gut, what we find is that we get a much better therapeutic or potentially therapeutic response. So for example, one of the things we did about five or so years ago was to try putting bile acids in an enema and administering them from the tail end, which sounds bizarre, but in fact, we got a really good hormone response when we gave them by that means. And that informs what we want to do with our further work in this area. Obviously, they're not the most convenient of delivery mechanisms. So how do you see this work affecting clinical practice and improving? health outcomes for people with type 2 diabetes? Yes, well, one of the things to do might be to find a better way of administering these medicines or, or bile acids or versions thereof so that they're more accessible or more convenient to take in the longer term. And certainly the pharmacists are now well accustomed to formulating medicines for delayed release And there's a lot of medicines for use in GI diseases and other abnormalities where they have things called enteric coatings. So the active ingredient is within a pellet that's got a coating and will only be released once it gets further down in the gut. So there's a lot of intricate tricks that can be used to put these sort of principles into practice. Do these findings have the potential to significantly reduce the occurrence of type 2 diabetes? Well, I think it's all about what 
can be used at which stage of the disease. So there's the prevention aspect of diabetes. Can we predict who's going to get it? Can we act early to prevent it from having its full manifestations? And then there's people further down the track where they have to be taking medications to control their blood glucose, and they too have unmet needs. We're getting better medications, but some of them are expensive and they're not going to be suitable for everyone. It's interesting that the most effective treatment for diabetes at the moment is gastric bypass surgery, and yet that's always going to be a treatment that's only relevant to a select few because we haven't got the resources or maybe the inclination to do that to everyone. So I think there's a whole spectrum of people that could benefit from better therapies, and they they need to be safe therapies, and they need to be therapies that will be affordable for the healthcare budget. And maybe this has got some of the answers. Chris, the findings are significant, but I get the impression there's other insights that you've gained along the way. I think the lesson for me in all of this work is that it's understanding mechanisms that's the real joy of discovery and something that helps lead on to other better things. Constantly in the process of new drug development, there's always a playoff between the commercial aims of getting that drug out into the market quickly and recouping the R&D budget. And we're always playing that off against actually doing more detailed studies to understand the intricacies of how the drug works. Believe it or not, a lot of drugs get to market before we understand all of those things. So as an investigator, I think one of my missions is to try and push the pharma industry and the supporters of research to really fund studies that are going to understand mechanisms, particularly in humans, in the development stage of new therapeutics. Professor Chris Rayner, consultant gastroenterologist at Royal Adelaide Hospital and professor in the Adelaide Medical School, University of Adelaide. Fascinating work, really important work, and thank you for taking the time and joining us for this Carlin podcast today and sharing us your insights. Thank you for having me on your show today. Thank you for listening to Research Pulse. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your colleagues and friends. If you'd like to contact us, you can find an email address in this episode description. This podcast was developed by the Central Adelaide Local Health Network.